0: Let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to uh, open our eyes to behold the wonderful things this morning uh, in his word. We thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you that uh, these words are your words. And we ask now that we would know uh, your living and active voice in them and help us now to uh, receive your teaching. We pray, Holy Spirit, that uh, you who have inspired prophets and apostles uh, would now uh, fill, would now fill the mouth of your servant and fill the ears of your children here uh, to hear those wonderful works of God that are found in your word. we ask all this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to our sermon text, which is Genesis chapter 32. Uh, There's also a sermon notes page this morning. Uh, I noticed that I didn't uh, change the points from last Sunday's sermon, so uh, if you'd like to take notes, uh, you have to scratch those out and uh, listen up closely to the the new points this morning. Uh, But there is a sermon notes page there. On the front side has the passage. Uh, As I've been mentioning, that's mostly for our kids. If uh, they have a hard time flipping back and forth between passages in the Bible, uh, at least they can find it there quickly as we're reading through it together. So Genesis 32, let's begin reading at verse 1 here, the story of Jacob. Jacob went on his way. He's leaving his uh, father-in-law's house, uh, Laban. And, we read, when he went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of, the, of that place Machanaim, which means uh, two, two camps, his camp and God's camp. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, uh, the country of edom instructing them thus you shall say to my lord esau thus says your servant jacob i've sojourned with laban and stayed until now i have oxen donkeys flocks male servants and female servants i have sent to you uh, to tell my lord in order that i may find favor in your sight and the messengers returned to jacob saying we came to your brother esau and he's coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, the river, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So, in other words, it took a lot, didn't he? These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first. When Esau, my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are present, sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind you. For he thought, I may appease him. So Jacob's thinking about Esau, I may appease him. With the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed the Uh, That night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh.
1: And all of God's people say
0: to these words, Amen. Well, desperation is a feeling. It's a a state, not a state like California, but sort of a status, right, of a place in life uh, that all of us have felt or been in. Desperation. Uh, it's the sense and acknowledgement that you've come to the end of your rope, that you have nothing left, and that there's nothing else you can do. In a word, desperation is helplessness. Helplessness. Have you felt desperate? Have you felt helpless? What do you do? What do you do when you feel that sense of desperation, that sense of helplessness? Well, the one thing that you can do as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your, your one last-ditch effort, as we call it, is to pray. Is to pray. And you can get to the point of such desperation, such helplessness, even as you pray to the Lord... Right? You're confident enough in your desperation you know, that, that, that only God can help you, but, but, uh, but, but, but you can't. And you can get to the point of, of desperation that you won't take no for an answer. That's the story here of Jacob. So desperate. Why is he desperate? Why, is he, why does he feel helpless? Because he is afraid of his brother, his older brother, his twin who's just a tad bit older than him, he's afraid of him. And and why wouldn't he be? He has 400 men with him coming towards his band of four wives and 11 children, some male servants, some female servants, no weapons, and a bunch of animals, a bunch of tents. That's about it. So he's helpless. He's desperate. He is greatly afraid and distressed, our pastor tells us. And he prays, and he prays, his last-ditch effort. After all of his plots and planning here, notice he prays. He won't take no for an answer. The story here speaks of that kind of desperation of Jacob, one of our great forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We speak of, we we pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's one of those great forefathers. Forefathers, the Lord chose to reveal His grace through uh, to bring us our Savior Jesus. In many ways, His entire life, Jacob's life, it is was a was a life of desperation. Uh, he has desperately sought his brother's birthright. We saw that already. Uh, his brother was out in the field hunting animals. He was in uh, he was in the house, uh, sort of a mama's boy. Uh, cooking food, and he knew that his brother was going to come and be hungry, and so he he plotted desperately for that birthright. He uh, he exchanged this verbal birthright for a a cup of uh, a cup of top ramen, right, or a cup of stew, just a just a basic meal. It, was, it really wasn't very uh, very uh, uh, impressive, but he wanted that blessing so much that he was willing to, to do what he had to uh, to trick his own brother. He desperately sought his, his, his father's blessing. Again, Esau is out in the field hunting, and so he and his mom plot, and they take some animal skins and some furs, and they put it on, because Esau's brother was a very hairy man, and he was uh, described as a soft man. And, uh, and, and he does this, and his dad is blind. His dad can hear the voice of Jacob, but he feels, uh, and he smells Esau. That's how desperate he was to steal uh, the father's blessing, because we saw that oral the blessing was not just words. This was a, a last will and testament. Uh, this, this was, you know, we write, we write our last will and testament, our family trust or whatever it is. That's a legal document in the ancient world. Your words uh, were the legal document. He's desperately sought a wife in a far off land. Um, and uh, he was so, he was so uh, smitten by her, so in love with her, Rachel, that is, that he was desperate to marry her. How long did he work to get her? Supposed to be seven, right? So, but he loved her that much that he was willing to, to put up with uh, Laban's trickery, right? Uh, and Leah slipping into the, into the tent on that wedding night that he was, uh, that he was willing uh, to work for 14 years. In fact, uh, after that, remember from last Sunday, how many more years has, has he worked up to our point here this morning? Six more. So it's been 20 years. He left 20 years ago, desperate to get a wife. Right? But now, here he is, desperate to avoid death from his brother, this, this tyrannical brother, uh, Esau, who comes with 400 men uh, seeming to put him to death and, and to do what uh, he wants. So, may God, the Spirit, uh, who spoke by the prophets, may he speak to us uh, anew. And notice also, just briefly, before we we look here, that the Lord has promised him multiple times. And last Sunday especially, we we made a big point there in chapter 31 of God's very special promise to him, uh, I will be with you. The Lord has promised him, I will be with you. Uh, Leave Laban, I will be with you. Uh, Go to your promised land despite all that uh, you're going to face there, but I will be with you. And we see, despite Jacob's fears and despite his desperation, his hopelessness, his distress, we see God with him, don't we? We see God with him. We see see the Lord with him in in, uh, verse 1. God sends angels. To him. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. He's afraid, but yet God has said, I'm with you. And to show that, angels accompany him on his journey. In fact, he calls this God's camp. Now he later on talks about two, my my camp is divided into two because he is trying to put some distance between all the servants and animals and, and his. And his wife, and then he even divi- his wives, he divides up that camp even more. But notice, there are two camps. It's not the two camps that, 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 that Jacob has, but it's God's camp. God has camped alongside Jacob here, uh, as it were, in tents, as he's there with all of his servants and wives. And so God has appeared to him here in the, in the form of an angel or angels. And, of course, there is that, that, uh, that man that is wrestling with him, will come to him or it or whatever that thing is. Uh, in just a moment. Uh, but notice also, uh, as these angels of God are with him, as God has promised, I'm with you, that, 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 that angels are God's servants. They're servants. The psalmist says this in Psalm 103 that they are, they are meant to, 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 to serve. They're ministering fires and ministering spirits. They're sent by God to serve. Hebrews 1 tells us, picking up on Psalm 103, that, uh, that the angels of God, uh, are they not ministering spirits sent? to minister to those who shall inherit salvation. And even Hebrews tells us, doesn't it, that there are times and places where, at least in the ancient world, uh, that, uh, that the earliest Christians, they, they welcomed into their homes strangers. They were hospitable to strangers, but unbeknownst to them, they were hospitable to... Angels, right? Angels, Okay. Angels unaware, says the King James. They were unaware that they were were welcoming angels into their homes. Now, notice here Jacob's planning. That's the first point. Notice his planning here. Uh, Last we heard from Esau in our story was that he hated Jacob. Last we heard from Esau was that he was planning to kill Jacob. And the last we heard of Esau, uh, Jacob was fleeing his father's house, Isaac, and where Esau was, to go up uh, hundreds of miles away to the house of Laban. And now Jacob is continuing his journey, but now he's coming back home. He's coming back to his father's house and back to the promised land. Uh, and, and, and to do that, he must pass through this hilly country called the hill country of Seir. And this is where Esau lives. And he has to send messengers before him. And notice in his plans here, now, now don't forget, this is, the, this, is the, this is the son that God has chosen through whom to bring all of his promises, to, to, to bring a nation, to, to make their, their, their children like the stars of the heavens and the sand that we can see this morning. And God has said, I am with you. So he knows he's the chosen one. He's the, he's the vessel through whom God is going to bless the world with salvation. But he's afraid. And so in his planning, in his plotting, in his scheming, uh, in his human wisdom, notice that he calls himself, as he's telling his servants to go to his brother Esau, uh, he He calls Esau, my Lord, and he calls himself your servant, and he's looking for favor in your sight, he says to Esau. And his message to Esau was that he had all this prosperity to share with his brother. I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of all these kinds of animals all these servants to serve these animals and to to care for these animals and to care for all the, the needs that I have, and I am going to willingly give it over to you. He calls Esau my Lord, but he's just, he's just heard the Lord speak to him. I am with you. He's, he's forgotten. He's forgotten what, what later on the, the prophets would, uh, would say, that there are, there, are, there are more with us than there are with them. He sees 400 men or he hears about 400 men coming to get him. But, but he's forgotten. The Lord's with him. And in fact, angels have gone with him. There, there are many more with us than there are with them, but he's forgotten And so he sends his message off to his, to his brother that he has all this, all this stuff to give him. Yet when the messengers come back, their news causes even more fear. Esau's coming with 400 men. Now Jacob must have been thinking and, and feeling, uh, as we say, uh, old wounds never heal. My brother is holding this grudge against me. Twenty years later, he's still holding a grudge. And so he continues to plan and to scheme and to plot. And so in his wisdom, he decides to divide his camp up into two. One half of his camp goes on that side of the river. And then the other uh, half of his camp is on this side of the river, and then he even plans to give all these animals as gifts to Esau, but to do it in waves. Send the first servant off with a couple hundred of this and wait a little bit of time. Send a second servant off and give him a hundred more of that. Wait a little bit more time. And a third, right? Just constantly sort of buttering him up, right? Trying to appease him, we're told there. In fact, in verse 20, when, when, when he says... Uh, I and perhaps I may appease him. Perhaps he will accept me. That 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 word for appease in the ESV is the it's the word that gets. Uh, it's the same Hebrew term that's used later on in the in the book of Leviticus and Exodus for the for the sacrifices uh, and the atonements or the, the propitiation. It's the place where God meets with His children and their sins are forgiven. God is appeased. And so he's thinking that by his gifts, by his efforts, by his works, by the things that he can give, he can appease his elder brother, his angry brother, from killing him. And so he's totally desperate. He's totally afraid. He's totally helpless. He's totally distressed. So, in other words, he is probably doing the things that you and I would have, would have done. Right? There's, there's no difference between this Jacob, this forefather, this patriarch, than than us. All the fears and all the doubts and all the distress and all the struggles, all the desperation, all the helplessness, all the worry, all the anxiety that we have in this life too. Here's Jacob. Greatly afraid, forgetting that God is with him. Now in the middle of all this, we see secondly, his praying. Uh, notice especially verses nine through twelve, his his praying, he's planning a whole bunch, isn't he? But he's also praying. So he's he's he is full of fear, but he's also he's also a man of faith. Well, how you know we, we might we might see that and we might be confused. Well, well, what is it? Is it uh, is he a sinner or is he a saint? Is he fearful or is he faithful? What's the answer to that? The answer is yes. (laughs) He's both, isn't he? He's both. He is full of doubt. He's full of, of fear for his own skin, right? His own life. But here's a man also who has faith. Full of doubts, but yet he trusts. He trusts the Lord. Again, that, that, you know, that's, that sounds confusing to us. Well, how, you know, how can it be? I thought, I thought believers you know, were forgiven of all their sins, and I thought believers only trusted God and, and only loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They loved the neighbor of himself. I, I thought that's what a Christian was or a believer was. Well, that's what a believer is in principle, but in practice, I mean, look around, you know? Look around. Look around. This is that struggle within the believer, isn't it? Uh, this is that, uh, there's, here's, here's Jacob wrestling with God, but there's also an internal wrestling that we have as believers. Paul describes that as the old man versus the new man. That we, have, that we, are be, that we become new in Christ. He's, he's, he's made us new. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's given us the Spirit of God. He's uh, given us new birth, regeneration. But yet there's that old man still, still with, with us. God has allowed us, or God permits, and God still, uh, in, in, the, in God's wisdom, He makes it so that the believer sh- still is new but yet old. One day we'll see Christ face to face. One day we'll, all of our sins will be wiped away, practically speaking. Uh, one day there will be no more tears or pain or doubt. It will be only faith. Uh, and not just faith, but it will be sights. Until then, you're going to wrestle. Until then, you're going you're to want to do the good, but yet the good that you want to do, you see evil lying close at hand. And the, and the evil things that you don't want to do, you struggle because you still are tempted towards them and you even commit them. And as a believer, you're, gonna, you're still going to cry out, as a believer, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's the prayer of a Christian, Romans 7. That's the prayer of a believer. And so you see that here with Jacob, all the way back thousands of years ago, a man who is utterly afraid, but yet he is a man of faith. And so he prays. In fact, his desperation here, uh, it it leads to to the first recorded prayer that we have of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the first prayer that we have recorded for us. Uh, in Genesis, from those three patriarchs as as he prays out there, verses 9 to 12. So often it's in times of desperation that we pray the most directly and and, and the most effectively. That's why David would later say in Psalm 51, when he prayed in his desperation, because he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, he was liable for the murder of her husband, Uriah, and when he was exposed, Thou art the man by the prophet, he cried out, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When he knew his sin, he knew his helplessness, he prayed very directly, didn't he? When David changed his behavior so that Abimelech uh, would send him away, he prayed again very fervently, very directly, very effectively. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34, and saves the crushed in spirit. You see, what we, what we learn here from, from Jacob in his prayer there, verses 9 and following, is that desperation is like a key that God even gives to us to open up the door to pray the door to enter the presence of God come before him face to face again we we see his desperation we see his doubts we see his sins here but yet God even uses our desperation like a key to open up the door to prayer in his desperation Jacob's prayer was 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 short to the point and it's centered upon the promise, the gospel promise that God has made to him. If you're taking notes, uh, I just want you to see here very quickly in, the, in this prayer, there, there are five little things that, that Jacob is doing here in this prayer. Uh, his prayer is short and to the point, and so hopefully these five points will be short and to the point as well. Uh, first of all, he addresses God as the God who has made a covenant of grace with Abraham and Isaac. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. Oh, Lord, right? We see the distinction there between God and Lord, the Lord being the, the covenant name of God. God makes and God keeps promises. God is the God who is, who was, who is to come. Uh, God is uh, God is the eternal I am, who was with his people, was with his uh, with His chosen uh, vessel, Abraham and Isaac, and now he's with Jacob. Oh, Lord, he prayed. And so, first of all, prayer addresses God as the God who makes a covenant of grace with our forefathers. He's our God as well. Secondly, in his prayer, he recognizes his own unworthiness to have received anything, anything from the Lord's hands. And you see that uh, in his prayer, verse number nine. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. And of all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant, etc. Steadfast love. That's that special word that's used again and again and again uh, in our Bibles, in the Old Testament, of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. I'm not worthy, he says. You have kept your promises. Uh, You have made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to me. And here I am. I'm unworthy to, to receive those promises, but yet you're faithful. His prayer is the kind of prayer that, uh, that, 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 that Paul describes in the New Testament when he says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. Why? Because God can't deny himself. God can't change. He is. He was. He is to come. He's I am. And so he addresses, first of all, again, God as the God who makes a covenant of grace with us. Secondly, he recognizes in his prayer his unworthiness to have received anything from the Lord's hands. Right? Prayer is not us coming to God demanding what we deserve. Prayer is desperation. It's, it's, it's us coming to God and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Third, he acknowledges the blessings of God. He acknowledges what God has already given to him. I came with a staff. I have become two camps. He's been blessed with all this prosperity. It's come from God. It's come from God. Remember when, when he told Laban when he was about to leave, uh, it was time for him to go back to his, to his, to his, to his, to his family, uh, and Laban tried to, to scheme and trick him, and he said, look, I'll just take half of the flock, the, the flock that's the, uh, the least desirable, the ones that are speckled and spots and so forth, I'll take just those ones. But then... Voila, right? The Lord causes them all to be speckled and spot, and he's blessed with tremendous abundance. So he acknowledges the blessings of God that, that come from God. Fourth, he makes his, his plea, really uh, his plea, which is "Deliver me." He very directly and very effectively prays for what he actually needs. Deliver me. Deliver me. He doesn't need more animals. He doesn't need more servants. He doesn't need uh, 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 rain to come and make the river too deep for, for Esau to cross. Uh, he, he doesn't need anything else other than God. Deliver me. Deliver me. Right? When we're desperate, our prayers are very short. You don't have to flower and and sort of fluff up your prayers to to sound uh, uh, profound to God. It's not in the abundance of our words, as Jesus says, that we stand on the street corners and we pray uh, to be seen, to be heard with great flowery language. Jesus calls that, uh, our translations say, it's babbling, isn't it? It's a babbling. Badalakeo is the Greek term. It's just a, a constant sort of repetition of the same words, and it might sound great, But he just prays, "Deliver me." That's what he needs. When we're desperate, we just simply pray and tell God what it is and and, and how it is. Now, the fifth little thing we see here is this: which is, what's the basis upon which God is going to deliver this 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 wretched sinner? Right, Jacob. He's afraid. He's distressed. He's he he's been a man who's tricked, and he's been tricked. What's the basis? What's the reason why God would ever deliver a man such as this? Again, certainly not because of Jacob. The reason why God will deliver him is not because of anything inherent in Jacob. It's not the works that he's done. It's not the wisdom that he's shown. It's not the courage that he's overwhelmed his enemies with. Nothing in Jacob. It's nothing in Jacob at all. He prays her again in verse 11 Deliver me, and, and so forth. Why? Because I'm afraid. Um, I don't want Jacob or Esau to come against the mothers, the children, and so forth. But look at verse 12. What's the basis? What's the reason? What's the foundation upon which God is going to deliver him? He asks that particular prayer at that moment because of what God has said. But you said, I will surely do you good. I will make your offspring as a stand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. There there was a a very famous preacher in the 17th century by the name of Thomas Manton, and and he said, at the end of the day, really what prayer is, is this. Uh, Prayer is, is our... Telling back to God what God has already promised to do. Now that sounds weird. Again, it sounds strange to us because, well, doesn't God already know what he's promised? Well, yes. But think of it like this. Is is prayer for God's benefit or yours? Does God need our prayers to do anything? But does God use our prayers to do the things that he does? Yes. Yes. And so prayer is literally just sort of turning the Bible back heavenward and telling God, God, you've already said this. You've already said that you're going to do good to me. You've already said that you're going to make my offspring as, as the sand of the sea. Now, I'm afraid. He can take me out in an instant. I'm afraid. Why wouldn't he be? He's a, he's a human being. But yet, Lord, you've promised to do good. You've promised to make my offspring that I'm afraid are about to die like the sand of the sea. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. Deliver me. So that's his desperation here. That's his praying here. That's the kind of prayer that God calls us in Christ to cry out. Now finally, notice his prevailing. Verses 22 to the end. so he's planned a whole bunch hasn't he and he's prayed he's prayed a lot less than he's planned but yet he's prayed notice his prevailing verses 22 to the end so he sends his camp across the river and all the animals and all the, all the, all the servants and all the uh, all, all the blessings that he has and he sends it sort of in waves and wave after wave towards his brother to appease him And we read of this strange, strange account, don't we? He's all alone there across the river Jabbok. He's afraid. He's desperate. He's helpless. Distressed. Worried. Afraid yet full of faith. And he wrestles. Isn't it strange that the story just, without any introduction, it says, verse 24, that he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Well, where did he come from? Why? It says that Jacob was alone, so how is there this man? Why is he there? I mean, was he getting a drink by the river? Was he also camping nearby and saw some smoke and a fire and thought, well, maybe I should go over there and, and not be alone myself? I mean, we have all these, these, these questions. Where, where does he come from? Who is he? Why is he there? What's he doing? All we're told is that and a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. The Bible does that. It just tells us these things at times and uh, not, to, uh, not to, to satisfy our curiosities. It just is an account of what happened. And it says things very mysteriously like this because it's already by the way it's describing and introducing, and a man wrestled with him. It's already telling us there's something more about this man than than what we can see and hear. Something strange going on here. Something beyond human uh, comprehension. He wrestles with this man. With this man. In fact, the prophet Hosea later on tells us that this man... That, the, that, that, that that Jacob wrestled with was the angel of the Lord. So Moses writing Genesis says he wrestled with a man. The prophet says this was the angel of the Lord. So uh, we, we hear that and we think, well that's not just any other angel like those angels in verse one that met him, notice. That's that special angel that that appears in strange places and at strange times, and in fact, is more than an angel. Because as Jacob confesses here, as he confesses here, he's seen God. He calls a place Peniel, which means the face of God. I've seen God face to face. And so this man, he just appears, sort of mysteriously. And when Jacob asks, well, what is your name? What does what this man, angel, say? What does he say? Does he tell him the name? Doesn't tell me anything, does he? Right? There's, there's something more about this man than we're sort of being led on to think. This is this is God. Somehow some way. In other words, God came down that night. Jacob was left all alone. Then God came. In the form of a man. To wrestle which again, strange to our ears, to wrestle? You see, in the ancient Near East, the world in which the Bible is written, oftentimes armies would line up against or uh, uh, opposite each other, sometimes the river between them. And instead of a full-on, full-scale battle the battle will be won by pitting two champions against each other in a, as we, as we call it in our, uh, in our video game culture, Mortal Kombat, right? It's an old, it's an old video game, but this is, a, this is a battle to the death between two champions, right? This is sort of David versus Goliath kind of stuff. In fact, in the ancient Near East, even lawsuits at times were settled through wrestling matches, not to death, but to the victory. Why why then is God doing this? Who's Jacob afraid of? Esau. Should he be? Humanly speaking, yes. But who should he fear more? God, the Lord. And so this man, right appears, the angel, this angel, of the Lord, as Hosea calls him, as Jacob calls him, "God, I've seen God face to face. God appears in this form to teach Jacob that he need not fear Esau, but that is to be afraid of Esau, but to fear, that is to trust, in reverence and in awe, of God. One hymn writer said it like this Lord, I cannot let thee go till a blessing thou bestow. Do not turn away thy face. Mine's an urgent, pressing case. And so he wrestles. He wrestles all night with this man, with God, in some form that he can be described as a man. And they wrestle. To teach Jacob to fear the Lord, to reverence God, to trust God alone. Don't be afraid. I will keep my word. I will keep my promise. Now we see in this wrestling match of Jacob prevailing, we we see the Lord Jesus Christ here in two ways. First of all, we see Jesus here. We we see Jesus before his birth, that is. We see the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, the pre-incarnate Son of God. We see Jesus in this man with whom Jacob wrestles. How? Because it's God who has come down from heaven to earth into the form of a man to wrestle and to be conquered, notice, by Jacob. Battles will be won by whichever champion won, or, or lawsuits would be to, would, uh, uh, would be. Uh, would be determined by who won the wrestling match. And so God comes down to wrestle Jacob, but to lose. He allows himself to lose the battle with Jacob in order, as we would say, to win the war, to send us his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jacob can confess this place was called Beniel, the, the face of God. And as we know, we've seen God's face In the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so here is the the Son of God before he became our Lord Jesus Christ coming down to wrestle, to be conquered, to teach Jacob, Fear me. Fear me. But the second way that we see our Lord Jesus Christ here is not in this man, but in fact in Jacob himself. He's the promised son, the promised seed. And so he's a, he's a picture to us, a type of the coming Christ. In wrestling with God himself, Jacob's thigh was touched. It was smitten. Uh, the thigh was a, a euphemism for reproductive strength uh, in, in, uh, in, in uh, this uh, ancient language of Hebrew. And so in in Jacob's physical suffering, we have a shadow of that promised Son to come who would suffer for us. The one the prophet described saying, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities, the prophet described becoming Savior. Through suffering... Jacob receives a blessing, the blessing of a name change, which is significant uh, in the ancient world. Through Jesus' suffering, we receive a new name, don't we? The Bible tells us in Revelation, for example, that we receive a new name when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' suffering, we receive the blessings of justification. It changes our name from sinner to saint from unrighteous to righteous, from guilty to not guilty, from estranged alien to a son, to a daughter, from an enemy to a friend. You see, because of Jesus, the desperation of Jacob was satisfied. Because of Jesus, we know that in our desperation, God will hear us and he'll answer us. We can pray like Jacob not because God will one day send his promise to be fulfilled, because he has already. Because he has already. God, the same God, has made a covenant of grace with us. We come to him in prayer, unworthy of his blessings. We acknowledge what he's already given to us. We make our plea to him, Lord, deliver us, help us. And we do so because, because, These promises have already been fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is that, not just that greater Jacob, but who is that God that Jacob wrestled with to learn the lesson. Fear me and trust me. And as we come this morning to the Lord's Supper together, uh, we, we have this visible sign and seal of all of these promises to us. That God here has heard the prayers of his children throughout the ages and given us his son, Jesus. And God still hears your prayers. He still hears your desperation. He still hears and he answers all of our helpless little prayers. Lord, deliver me. And when you receive the Lord's Supper this morning, know that. Be assured of that. Be confident that God accepts you already in Christ. And just pray to him. Ask him. Tell him what you need. Ask, seek, and knock, as Jesus says. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blessings of your amazing grace. All your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Uh, And we come to you this morning upon us, Lord, as your word says. The end of the ages has already come. All your promises are being fulfilled today. And so we pray that you would draw to yourself in this place and across the world, uh, in every place, amongst every language, amongst every uh, nation, every ethnicity, every tribe and people, that you would fulfill your promise that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's sons and daughters, their seed would be as the sand of the seashore and be as the stars of the heavens. Draw to yourself that great multitude that no person can number, so that we might join with them in faith and in fellowship, praying to you with confidence and joy this morning. Lord, deliver me. And we ask this in his wonderful name, and all of God's people say Amen.